Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Grace. If you guys will stand, let's, let's sing out to our God. Thank you. 
footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Father, we gather as a people celebrating your greatness. We sing along with the stars and the heavens and the rocks and the trees that proclaim you as their creator and all of your beauty and all of your glory. Lord, we also recognize that we've often denied that truth. We've often looked the other way and tried to live life on our own. And so we gather not only celebrating you and your greatness, but also confessing our sin, confessing our rebellion, confessing that we wander far from you, but that you are the God that lifts us back up out of that pit. You're the one that we cry out to, and you give us forgiveness and freedom, and you lift us up and set us free. As we continue to worship, Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts, make us more like your son, transform us by grace. Pray in Jesus' name.
God, we thank you for your cross. God, that you defeated sin and death and made a way that we could know you. Lord, I pray that you will help us to live in your presence, God. Seek you out to enjoy that eternal life that you've promised and given to us, God. Lord, show us your love. Help us to love others. In your name. Amen. If you'll stay standing. Sorry. Some of you, it's too late. Uh, I'd like to uh, give you a chance to introduce yourselves to each other. We've got a lot of new folks coming in. Uh, if you'll just share your first name and your favorite Valentine's candy, if it's the Chalky Hearts, the Red Hots, whatever it may be, just uh, meet someone next to you, okay? supposed to stop talking. I wasn't ready. I can feel like run up now. Okay. This is what's called an awkward transition. All right. If you will open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, since you're done talking, um, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 2. We are going to try to look at what the Lord has to teach us out of His Word about Valentine's Day. All right, we're, uh, we don't always celebrate every holiday that Hallmark creates, uh, but we thought today it would be fun because we finished our book study in the book of Titus, and in Titus we were studying the counterculture, actually now I still need to grab my clicker too, in Titus we were studying the counterculture that God calls us to create, and part of that is not just the kind of church and the kind of community that we build, one that's beautiful and attractive and shows how great God is, but it's also, there's the counterculture image. Uh, But it's also in our marriages. Um, We are to set up a different kind of culture even within our marriage, that we would live differently, that we would look differently, that we would honor God with our relationships. Um, I know that uh, that Valentine's Day is kind of a hard day for a lot of you. Some of you may be in a difficult relationship, or you may be missing your spouse, or maybe you're single and hurting uh, with that. And I just wanted you to know that that we're with you here, and that's why we're gathered, because we are community, and we love you. I would encourage you to... Grab lunch with someone afterwards. Don't, don't stay alone. But I also want to encourage you that, that the promise of God throughout Scripture is that He is our comforter, that He is the God that will be with us, uh, that the old covenant name Yahweh is, is I am. I am. I will be there with you. That is what His name means. And the promise that, that's repeated more often than any other promise in the Bible is I will be your God. And you will be my people. I will live among you. That is the promise that God makes to us. So I just want to say up front that that's the special comfort that we take from God when we're feeling alone. Even if you have a great marriage, you can still feel alone. And you need God's uh, comfort and that relationship with Him in your life. So I want to encourage you to direct that towards Him, even as we look today at marriage and at what it means to have a relationship that honors God. Um, We don't know a whole lot about St. Valentine. There was actually a couple of them that the the Catholic Church started some feasts to commemorate them. And those were feasts that were replacing some pagan uh, love feasts and love rituals. And so that's part of the tie-in, we think, was celebrating romantic love at Valentine's Day. Um, Apparently also Geoffrey Chaucer, who was a writer in England in the Middle Ages, he he apparently uh, started some of the traditions that we now observe with Valentine's Day. So it's kind of a mishmash of different things we've picked up from culture, and like I joked about early from, uh, earlier from Hallmark as well, right? We picked up a lot of our traditions from Hallmark Card Company um, and the rose industry and the chocolate industry and all of that. 
Um, but but I, uh, I don't think it really matters where Valentine's Day comes from. It's an opportunity for us to look at the culture and look at how romantic love is celebrated in the culture and then compare that with what God says and what God created it to be. And so that's why we're looking at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2 is the creation of marriage, the creation of man and woman together. And we're going to read that together as we think about what it says in Ephesians 5, that, that God did this to show the world Christ's love for his church. That's what Ephesians 5 tells us about Genesis 2. That's the commentary on Genesis 2 in Ephesians 5 is God did this. God created marriage, this mystery, this crazy experiment that we're engaged in. He, he did this for his glory to point people to him, to show how great he is. And so that's why it's important for us to understand this as we look at today the idea that romance equals repentance. Romance equals repentance. If you want good romance, you're going to have to change your heart, change your mind. You're going to have to turn and go in the other direction. So let's read Genesis chapter 2. Remember again, in, in the story of the Bible, this is before Adam and Eve fell into sin. So this was when everything was perfect, right? Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we've all fallen away from this perfection. But this is, this is the perfection that God started it all off with. Genesis 2 verses 22 through 25. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. So here it is. He brings Adam, this woman. Verse 23. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are our comforter, you're our friend, you're our heavenly father that adopts us into your family. And Lord, I pray for everyone here, whether married or single, widowed or divorced, or, or wanting to be married, Lord, that you would speak to us today, that you would help us to understand that, that we find our ultimate relationship needs met in you, and that you are the center of true community pray that you would be with us and be our God, and that we would be your people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was uh, 1929, and it was the Rose Bowl, and a guy named Roy Regals uh, was recovering a fumble, and there was chaos that ensued in this football game, and apparently a couple of guys tried to tackle him, he got hit real hard, he got spun around, and then he ran as hard as he could for 65 yards in the wrong direction. 65 yards in the wrong direction, and it was a teammate of his that tackled him so that he wouldn't score a touchdown for the other team. And this morning, my desire is to be that teammate of yours that runs 65 yards to chase you and tackle you before you score points for the other team. Because I believe, and I, and I need you to do that for me as well in good Christian community, because I believe we're all going the wrong direction. I believe like Roy Regal's, Wrong way regals, he was called. I believe we're all going the wrong way. And that's what I mean when I say romance equals repentance. Romance equals repentance. If you want to have a good relationship, you have to realize that you're running in the wrong direction. Most of us are running as fast as we can into self. And, and we need to repent and we need to turn around and run the other direction to pursue the ones that we love. Now, I just want to lay out again that and I'm going to be speaking mainly about, about marriage and that relationship, but, but these principles really apply to any relationship. Most of these apply to any relationship, just the idea of, of loving others, being unselfish, loving others the way that God loves us, repenting, changing our heart, and turning and pursuing the things of God. And I just want to clear up, too, the word repentance is different from the word penance. You all heard that word before. Penance is the religious idea of of kind of doing good things to make up for the bad things you've done. That, that's a completely different category. That's, a, that's another word that uh, church traditions have created. But the word repentance means change of heart, change of mind. It means to turn. That's what it means. It's used especially in the Gospels and in Acts. It's not used as much uh, in the letters of Paul. In the letters of Paul, that word becomes belief, trust. So you've got to repent. You've got to change your heart. Stop trusting in yourself and turn and start trusting in God. And so really those words are used interchangeably in the Bible. Trusting God and repenting and not trusting yourself anymore. Changing directions, turning and pursuing 
after him. And that's what we need if we, we want to have good romance in our marriages. The first thing that we see here in this, this first picture of what romance is supposed to be like is the idea of celebrating grace. The first thing that we see is, is Adam celebrating God's grace. Now, sin hadn't happened yet, right? So they didn't need the grace of forgiveness. But grace just means unmerited favor. It means any good thing that God gives us that we don't deserve. And Adam and Eve didn't necessarily deserve any good, extra, wonderful gifts from God. And here God says, I'm going to give you, Adam, this, this wonderful uh, match for you. I'm going to give you Eve. Again, it says at the end of 22, he, he brought the woman to the man. And then in 23, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It's like he just breaks into song. Now, my Hebrew is a little rusty. I took Hebrew before in school. I, I basically kind of rely on a computer now for most of my Hebrew knowledge. Um, but when you read most commentaries, they say that, that this is basically a song. This is Adam breaking out in song. He's just like, this is amazing. She is awesome. He is celebrating what God has done. He's praising God's creation. He's praising God for bringing it to him. And I believe that that's a starting point for us if we want to have good relationships is we've got to get our mind right and recognize God's grace. We've got to recognize the goodness of what God has brought to us. I found a picture here of Gene Kelly. Now, how many of you break out in song and swing around the lamppost when your spouse comes home from work? Anybody? Yeah. Very good. Thank you, Marianne. Marianne does. But the rest of you, you are in sin. Okay? This is what it should look like. This is what the ideal relationship is. Now, I have to, I have to say, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. Okay? I'm, I'm a pretty even keel guy. I'm not real expressive. Um, my wife will tell you I'm very not expressive. So... So I'm, I'm growing in this area. I'm trying to learn as well. But again, this is an area of repentance. That we would change our heart and say, God is great. God has given me this wonderful woman. Or God has given me this wonderful man. God has, God has brought grace into my life. And that's where we need to be as, as husbands and as wives. And again, this even applies to friendships, right? I mean, God brings friends into our life. Not all of us are called to be married. And God brings friends. God brings community. We need other people in our life. That's, that's one of the lessons that we learn throughout Scripture, that we need people to celebrate with us. We need people to cry with us. We need people to be there with us. And that's why we continually beat the drum here that you should be involved in community together, that you should find ways to get to know each other, not just gather to hear the Word taught, which is good, and, and sing God's praises, which is good, but, but also do life together, partner with each other, and help each other out in different ways different times in your life. But all that starts with having the right attitude, right? That, that all starts with celebrating God's grace, saying God is a good God who gives me good gifts that I, that I don't deserve. It, it's really starting off with the gospel basics of God is good. I'm a sinner and I've gone the wrong way, but, but God took hold of my heart. He sent his son to die for me. He, he came to save me even in my sin. And, and God is gracious, recognizing what God is like, understanding his, his character. Now, now, if you're like me and you're not very expressive, you might want to say, well, Dave, I'm not, I'm not Gene Kelly, right? I mean, I'm not going to sing and dance and jump around on the table when my spouse comes. That's just not me. Um, that, that's fine, but, but I want to encourage you to repent. I want to encourage you to change and turn and, and pursue God. Now, it may not look like singing and dancing. It may just be saying the words out loud, right? I mean, some of you, you you've heard the classic, I, I told her I loved her on our wedding day, and... If I change my mind, I'll tell her, right? You've heard that before. Um, don't, don't be that guy, okay? Say, say it out loud. You may not be a man of many words, but you can say those few words. I love you. You can say those few words. You're, you are grace in my life. And ladies as well. Ladies are usually have a reputation for being a little more expressive than men. But, but ladies, you need to learn to express that affection as well. And make sure your man understands that you don't think he's just one more kid in the way. But, but that you actually think he's a, a wonderful gift. Okay? I hit close to home, didn't I? Yeah. Um, we need to celebrate grace. Celebrate God's grace in our life. Others of you, too, I think, may be thinking, Dave, you don't understand because the feelings just aren't there anymore. And I can't just create feelings. Um, and I want to challenge you. You can, you can all access BibleGateway.com on the Internet and do a word search on love. Just search the word love. And then come back to me next week and, and tell me if love is a feeling or if love is something that you do. Biblically, love is something that you do. It's, it's not a feeling. It's not about, eh, I just don't, I don't feel like it, you know. 
That's, that's not what love is. Love is something we purpose to do. Now, feelings make it better, right? I mean, feelings make it more fun. And I think ultimately the way that our feelings change, the way that we begin to have right feelings, is coming face to face with the God of the universe. Coming face to face with the God of the universe who, who we deserve to be punished by. We deserve to be alienated by Him. Romans 1 says, God's wrath is poured out on us that God gives us over to our sin. And, and we say, we want sin. We don't want you, God. We want to do life on our own. Right? We're going to see that in the next chapter in Genesis 3 if you read on. That, that Adam and Eve said, no, we, we, we don't believe God. We're going to believe the lies of the serpent. We're going to do life on our own. We're going to rebel against God. And in Romans, in Romans 1 it says, God's wrath is poured out that he, just, he lets us be independent. He lets us try that. And it, it never goes well. I mean, it's suicide to live apart from God. And so if you, if you understand who God is and you see his grace in Jesus Christ, that he came after us, he didn't just leave us alone, but he comes after us and he pursues us through Christ to save us, to set us free from our suicidal obsession with, with independence and doing life on our own, then you'll, then you'll understand God's grace. That will actually begin to change your heart. We wrestle with this every Sunday. This is part of the dynamic of the church coming to worship together as the people of God. We come in heartbroken and in pain. And we pray that God would give us the feelings to match the words that we're singing. Because we don't always feel like singing those words, do we? We don't come in feeling that God is gracious and wonderful. But we pray and we say, God, help my feelings to match what I know is true. Help me to be reminded of how great you are. So that you would transform my heart. So that my feelings would start to be right. And that that would then start to overflow. Maybe I'm not going to start dancing. Actually, I can guarantee you, I will not start dancing. But, but I will at least begin to have a smile on my face. I'll at least begin to be joyful. I will at least begin to express it. Begin to celebrate God's grace in my life. And if, if you don't start there, you'll never have a marriage. You'll never have a friendship. If there's any good... Well, the next thing I want us to look at is the idea of starting over. <coughs> starting over. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The emphasis here is on the leave. Shall leave his father and mother. Some of you are still answering to father and mother instead of being unified and allied with your spouse. And, and the Bible calls us to leave that behind. Um, the image that I chose this morning for that is, is the bag, the suitcase. You, you've heard the term baggage. Any of you bring any baggage into your relationships? Yeah, we've all, there we go. <laughs> we got an amen from the PowerPoint booth. Yes, we all, we all bring baggage into our relationships, don't we? You know, you, you carry these big old bags, these bags of how your parents treated you, how the bully down the street treated you, how that teacher was mean to you, whatever, whatever it may be, we all bring this baggage into every relationship we come into. And we need, again, kind of going back to the previous point, we need to celebrate God's grace and see through new lenses that God has brought someone gracious into our life and not interpret everything that they say based on uh, what our father and mother said, what previous people said, what other people had told us before. But we need to start over. We need, we need to give it a, a, a clean start. A new break. We need to give them a chance to be who God has made them to be. And this is difficult even if you've been married a long time. If you've been married a long time, you need to keep starting over even within your own marriage because you've hurt each other, right? You've caused pain to each other, and you need to forget that. Put that behind you, like it talks about in Philippians 4, where Paul says, putting, forgetting what is behind me, but pressing on towards the goal of Christ Jesus. We need to pursue Him and, and the good things and the good future that God has for us. So, so forget the past. Throw away that baggage. For some of you, it may be not just your family, your, your background, your dysfunctional way you were brought up. But for some of you, it may be a hobby that, that you need to throw down. That may be baggage that you've brought in that's, that's all-consuming and the most important thing to you. And it's competing for the alliances that God has given you with your spouse. Some of you may have a job. That's really become more important than your spouse. That's become a mistress to you. And you need to possibly lay that down. Or at least put some boundaries around it so that you can properly love your spouse. I don't know what it is because I know it's different for all of us, right? But I do know that the Bible calls us to start over. 
So it's marriage is designed that you would leave your father and mother, leave what you knew behind you, and start fresh and hold fast and be bound to the one that you love. The last thing I want us to look at is the idea of pursuing our spouse. Pursuing our spouse. We'll continue this this direction of, of leaving what's behind to then be bound, to bind, to pursue, to chase after that one that God has called us to. What does that look like? It says in, in 24 and 25, Hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was a oneness there that we are to be pursuing. In the ESV it says hold fast. In the NIV, if you have that translation, it says be united to your spouse, to your husband, to your wife. In the King James Version, it used to say cleave. I don't know if you all know that one, so that's a favorite of preachers. They like to say leave and cleave. You know, those are the basics of marriage. You've got to leave the past and cleave to your wife. But since cleave is not really an English word we use anymore, we try to avoid those terms that are confusing. But it basically means to be bound together. The Hebrew word means to hold fast, to be attached, to be bound. It can even mean like soldering or welding. I've got a picture here of a welder. But this is how you should pursue each other. You should be burning your life together, attaching permanently in a way that it's not meant to ever be torn apart. And what God has brought together, let no man tear asunder. It should be a permanent bond. This is something, again, that we've forgotten in our culture. This is another way for us to be counterculture, that we would be faithful to each other forever. That we would bind to each other permanently. That we would be welded. That we would be glued. That we would be bonded together. That's, that's all the uh, images that, that are conjured up from that Hebrew word. And then we've got this other idea that they were naked and not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed. I've talked about this before as we pursue each other. That this usually looks like a different thing for men and women. Not always, obviously. Stereotypes break down. Um, but, but for men, often, it's, it's hard for men to be emotionally naked and unashamed. Men don't really like their wives coming in to, you know, what's going on in here. And, you know, they kind of try to keep a little distance there. And, and for women, it's usually a little more difficult to be physically naked and unashamed. Men usually don't care. They're like, yeah, whatever, let it all hang out. But, um, <laughs> but there's, you know, there's these different areas where we struggle. And, and what's interesting is, I think really at the root of this is, is not anything about uh, the way we look or something that's wrong with us, right, on the outside. Because Adam and Eve, just in the next chapter, were ashamed, weren't they? And I don't think their bodies, like, all, all of a sudden got ugly, did they? I mean, they were the perfect humans. They didn't all of a sudden get ugly, but they were ashamed because something was missing because they rebelled against God. So this, again, shows us our, our need for the gospel, that, that we're ashamed because we're broken, because there's, there's these missing pieces when we try to do life on our own. We can't, we can't live on our own. We can't do it. it. It's right for us to be ashamed at one level apart from the gospel. But in the gospel, God takes that shame away. He covers us. He clothes us. He, he makes us his own. He adopts us as his children. He says that he loves us. He brings us back to himself. So I believe that, that we have to repent of, of not being willing to pursue each other in marriage. We need to, in the gospel, find peace that we don't have to be ashamed anymore and then pursue each other. And, and we look at this physical aspect of pursuit, 1 Corinthians 7, 2. It says, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Don't deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a very limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer but come together again so Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Part, part of the invention of sex, part of why God created it, it is for this bonding. God, God designed us for that. And in our society, we've gotten it all mixed up because we do the bonding and then we tear apart and then we bond with someone else and then we tear apart and then we bond with someone else and we tear apart. This is, this is meant to be a lifetime thing, protected and bounded in, in covenantal, secure, promise-bound love. What we call marriage. It, it should be contained. It should be protected. But God invented it. It's God's idea. We don't want to get the wrong idea that it's some shameful thing that we need to be embarrassed about. But God came up with that. 
If you just think about the biology involved, it's astounding. The level of detail to which he, he went to to make it a wonderful, pleasurable thing for humans to enjoy together, to reflect his love for the world. God came up with that. He, he created that. But again, it's something to be used to bind us together in love, in marriage. And that's where we go wrong. Often we have the bonding without the promise, or we have the promise without the bonding. And God says, tie those things together. When, when we think about being emotionally involved with each other and pursuing each other emotionally, not just physically, I think a great verse is in 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Here, Peter is saying, treat them with respect. Be considerate of them. They're weaker, but not in a, a uh, derogatory sense, not in a sense that women are lower than men. He says, they are heirs with you. They are co-heirs, equal partners with you in the grace that God has for us. Respect them. Be considerate of them. Be understanding of them, other translations say. Guys, I have to admit, I, I, am, I am a professional and I counsel people, but, but I don't always understand my own wife. I'll, I'll, I can sympathize with you. But, but the goal is that we would pursue her and try to be connected emotionally with our spouses. And one of the things one of my old pastors used to say is, is that our goal in marriage is to have a Ph.D. in the study of our spouse. We should never stop that. That The research is always ongoing. You're always trying to understand. You're always trying to connect. You're always trying to, to emotionally bond with your partner and understand who they are and how God's made them. Man, I just want to exhort you to repent. Don't, don't just go, yeah, whatever, I don't understand her. Yeah, that, you know, I don't get all that stuff. No, you, you continue to pursue. You follow the example like it says in Ephesians 5 where it says the husband should be like Christ who basically died for us, who, who came into our world, who took the initiative, who chased after us. Don't make your wife chase after you to, to talk to you and be involved with you and have conversations with you. You, you initiate with her. You pursue her. You bond with her emotionally. One of the best things that we can do is just communicate, right? So, so if we think about emotionally bonding, are you, are you asking the questions? Who, what do you love? What are you into? Are you, are you continuing to grow? Because people change as they go on. You've you got to keep pursuing each other. Ask questions. I, I have a little sheet, a little handout in the back, but they're red. I think there's some white ones too, but they're red sheets, and they are ways that you can... Uh, just have some conversation with each other, have a meeting, a date, and, and begin to understand each other again. Pursue each other. Understand what, what makes the other one tick. So I'd encourage you to grab one of those on the way out. Just give you some questions to ask of each other and ways to communicate. We think about physically pursuing each other. Again, just be a snuggle. Do you hold hands? Put your arm around each other? But pursue each other physically. Show affection towards each other. Continue to... Bind yourself to each other and pursue each other in physical intimacy. And the last one is, is spiritually. I think we also need to spiritually pursue each other. One of the startling statistics, they, they look at all the different things that married couples do that stay together and have good marriages. Um, and there's a lot of things that help marriages, you know, going on dates and talking and all these kind of things that we talk about. But the one statistic that's, that's overwhelming, more strongly linked, to a marriage staying together than any other statistic is praying together. Couples that actually pray together at night, that radically changes things statistically. And, and those that pray together have a much higher rate of, of staying together and loving each other for a lifetime. I'd encourage you to start praying together. Is it weird? Yes. I'll just let you know, yes, it is weird. It's awkward. Um, but do it anyway, okay? Again, repent. I'm trying to be that teammate that's chasing you. You're running the wrong direction. I want to tackle you and say, just pray together. You don't have to have some kind of fancy prayer. You start with the basics. God, help us. Okay? That's a prayer. Okay? You, can, you can do that together. You can celebrate grace in your prayers. God, thank you that you gave this woman to me. God, thank you for this partner that you brought to me. Begin praying together. And then take the initiative in that. It's going to be even more awkward with you. There's just something about men that this kind of communication and this level of intimacy just feels weirder for men so often. But guys, take that initiative. Ask them to be involved in that way. And then the last thing, we've, we've been hitting this a lot. Uh, one is just small groups. Getting in some kind of class, like a Sunday school class or a home Bible study together where you can then begin interacting in a group like, oh, is that what that means? Or, yeah, I read this in the Bible and... 
That was really weird. Can you help me understand that? And just interacting over the scriptures together, praying together with other people. And we have this specific class. It's going to be this nine-week class starting next week that I would really encourage you to engage with that. It's called Reunite. We've got the things in the bulletin. You can sign up and RSVP for it. But it would be a great opportunity for you to re-engage as a couple. Some of you, I, I said earlier, we're kind of focusing on couples that have just gotten back from deployment. Uh, but all of us need that. We, we all need these things. And it's basic marriage principles that will apply to anyone to help you grow together spiritually as a couple. Well, as we think about this idea of, of this just absolute oneness, this one flesh that we were supposed to have in marriage, right, that Adam and Eve had before the fall, and then we contrast that with the shame that we so often feel now, I just want to address that general shame that, that often we feel. If, if you're single or if you're alone, the scriptures have a lot to say to that. As we said at the beginning, God promises again and again that he is the God that is with us, that he will be our God and we can be his people. And that marriage isn't the only answer to aloneness, but that ultimately a relationship with Jesus Christ is the ultimate answer to being alone in this world. In Isaiah 56, it says, Let not any eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. A eunuch is as a man that cannot reproduce. So he's using this figuratively, talking about a man that cannot reproduce or cannot marry, saying, Let no one say, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. If you feel all alone and that there's no hope for you, God promises that he will give you something better than physical children as an inheritance, something better than marriage, a relationship with him. Isaiah 54 has a parallel passage speaking to women that have no husband. It says, Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song and shout for joy, you who are never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide and don't hold back. Lengthen the cords and strengthen the stakes. For you'll spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess whole nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is His name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You love us. And that we don't have to be ashamed. That You don't leave us alone. Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning, that are hearing maybe for the first time that You're a God that pursues us in love. That You... Indeed, are angry at our sin and our rebellion, but you've poured that anger on Jesus. That you absorbed it yourself to save us. That you paid for it to buy us back, to pursue us as your true love. God, help us all to respond in love, to celebrate your grace to us, to enjoy the relationship that we can have with you. I pray this for Jesus' sake. I thought this would uh, be a great song to just kind of sing on this day that we celebrate love. Um, and this is just a kind of call to action to be the people of love and to not wait to be here and to be now and to take this chance to, to take love to others. So um, if you guys will stand, let's sing this together. Oh, you are to give love. 